0: Welcome to the Glenwood Table Podcast, where we are reimagining Christian faith for the 21st century. I'm your host, Lance Hurst, and you can refer to me with they-them pronouns. At the table, we believe that one of the foundations for this 21st century Christianity is making space for a wide range of experiences. Because of that, we want to make space for different voices and different faith journeys. We invite you to think of these as testimonies of faith rather than tests of faith. You have your own testimony too, whether that's a testimony full of faith or not. And our hope is that as you hear these stories, you can make more space for your own testimony to unfold naturally and in a way that makes sense for you and for your community. This episode is the first of a two-part interview with the Reverend Dr. J.J. Flagg. JJ is a pastor and disability theologian. He shares with us about his childhood faith in God, how that faith ended and then expanded with a richer understanding of disability and divinity, and how he appreciates being able to say, I don't know, when it comes to the hardest questions about God. Enjoy. J.J., thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, and I wonder if you could just start off by giving us a little introduction to who you are.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, My name is J.J. Uh, Flag is the last name. That's one G. Uh, I'm originally from the lovely city of Miami uh, in in the great state of Florida. Uh, Unfortunately, we end up being the butt of a lot of jokes, being from the state (laughs) of Florida, but... I'm here to redeem us today. I I have the awesome privilege of uh, pastoring uh, Emmanuel Congregational United Church of Christ here in the lovely city of Watertown, New York. Uh, Our claim to fame is that we are about 30 miles away from the Canadian border. Uh, If you would have told me uh, years ago that a kid from Miami would be pastoring (laughs) in the North Country, I would have said something's wrong. But uh, yet, you know, here's where I am. A little bit about me, I would say uh, outside of pastoring, I'm really passionate about um, issues pertaining to disability and uh, accessibility in the church. Uh, I am someone who navigates life uh, using a wheelchair, uh, having been born with cerebral palsy. And so uh, disability and the intersections of disability and theology are uh, something that, things that are very important to me as a pastor.
0: What was your childhood experience of faith like? What was church like for you? Who was God to you?
1: Uh, For me, uh, I would say, and I I feel like I tell this story everywhere I go. (laughs) Um, I actually got to know the sounds of church before I ever got to know what the inside of a church was like. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my family lived uh, a ways, we actually lived across the street from a church. Uh, and uh, this was during a time where in the city uh, churches still had their doors open during service, and so I could hear the choir singing, uh, the people clapping and shouting during service, and the preacher, uh, who was very boisterous and uh, demonstrative, at least it sounded like uh, they were very demonstrative, and so that kind of spurred this curiosity in me to know what was going on uh, inside of the walls, and uh, so I begged my parents to let me go to church, and uh, eventually they gave in and uh, let me go, and, and something about uh, the experience gripped me uh, such that I never wanted to leave, um, and so I, it was the sounds of church that drew me to church, and it was the sounds that kept me, um, and as I grew uh, in community, I think my understanding of God kind of took shape and so I first got to know God as um, I would say as someone who was loving uh, and and kind and very interested in me as a person um, and 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 that view kind of changed over the years uh, because I went through a phase where I, I was afraid of God and and afraid of what God wanted from me and expected of me. Um, and and that came as, you know, as, as theologies changed and my exposure to different understandings of God uh, happened. Um, I think namely uh, hearing, I mentioned at the beginning of this that, you know, I was born with a disability, hearing um, for me that Part of the reason why I was disabled was because I didn't have enough faith or um, that that God was holding me responsible for some sin, either hidden sin in my life or sin in my own family's life. Um, that really changed the way that I looked at God. God was no longer, to me, this loving being who was interested in, in the best me, but really this vengeful, um, mm-hmm. narcissistic petty, <laughs> you know, God, that that God, would, that God would hold me responsible for something that I had no power over um, just seemed very, like, very petty to me, I think is the, is the best way that I could uh, describe it. And so I made this decision um, at some point in my journey that I wanted nothing to do with God. Uh, I, you know, I said, God, if this is the kind of God that you're going to be uh, and this is the kind of God that you are, I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, and then there were some some changes along the way, uh, as is obvious because I'm, you know, pastoring. Uh, but but uh, me and God went through a phase where we where, where we weren't, you know, on the best of terms with one another. Well, I should say I wasn't on the best of terms. God wasn't on the best of terms with me. I don't know if it changed God's relationship to me because I think God's love is steadfast and and uh consistent whether we whether we understand that or not. Um but it, yeah, I I would say that my my wanting to be in relationship with God was definitely uh in a different place after being exposed to different lines of thought. So
0: I mean, that's such a huge journey, right? To have this sort of innocent connection with God where you believe God wants your best. And then suddenly God is this vengeful, petty person, right? Like it's your fault that you are experiencing what you're experiencing. You did something wrong or someone else did something wrong and you have to bear the consequence. I wonder how did you resolve that?
1: Um, so very 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 ironically it was it was an encounter with the bible mm. <laughs> that, that that resolved this uh this kind of God I want nothing to do with you uh, moment and and I would say uh, what felt like uh, I, it was a brief period of time but for me it was significant enough um that it it made me look at God differently. But specifically, what was the turning point? I remember after having several encounters with people who who made me question my relationship to God and my own uh, kind of, uh, my own, my own standing as, 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 a, as a believer and a believer who has a disability, right? Um, uh, the the turning point for me came when I, I had gone to the doctor and uh, I was having a talk with the doctor about um, wanting to be able to uh, stand up and walk again um, with the assistance of some devices. By the time I was 21, I think at the time I was 18, maybe uh, mm-hmm. went to the doctor, the doctor. Uh, pretty much, uh, long story short, like dashed all of my hopes and basically said, that's not going to happen. You can give up on it. Right. Uh, And so I came home and I I, I grabbed my Bible. um, And growing up in the church that I grew up in, um, the Bible was synonymous with who God is. And so in this act of, in this act of saying, you know, God, I want nothing to do with you. I prepared to throw the Bible to the other side of the room. Uh, and as as God would have it, the Bible opened to John chapter 9. Uh, and I started to read John chapter 9. It's about Jesus and his disciples uh, journeying along the side of the road, and they encountered this man who was blind from birth. And the disciples began to ask the question, um, who sinned that this man was born blind? What, like, who was responsible for uh, him being born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus looks at them and says, like, you're, you're, you're focused on the wrong thing. Um, uh, Neither of these are the case. It wasn't him or his parents. He was born this way so that the glory of God might be revealed in him. And... Uh, For the first time, I I saw myself in the text. Like I read that and I was like, wow, that's me. Like God wants to do something in and through me. At least that was how I originally interpreted the text, right? Like God made me disabled because God wanted to do something through me. And I think as I've grown in my understanding of God and understanding of that particular text, that's actually not what the text means at all. It simply means that here's this man with a different experience that is showing the diversity of how God shows up in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's not that God created him so that God might be glorified in his disability. But it is, it is to say that God's glory is not uh, confined to one particular way of being. Um, And so, in that, I I would say that my understanding of God and my relationship to God completely changed and has continued to change as I have grown in being able to see God uh, expressed through many people in many different ways, in many different embodiments, Um, and so that, I mean, that really is the core of my, my ministry work is to to help people lean into the way that God might be glorified in them being their most authentic self.
0: Yeah, that's such an important shift in the way you view that text, oh, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even though the first one still like the first reading that you had of the text still helped you yeah. and helped you embrace yourself, right? Yeah. And helped you repair relationship with God, find a way for God to be, you know, for you to feel like God was okay with you. But I can hear, I mean, the difference that I hear in one is like, you're still not perfect. So God is going to show up in a special way. Right. So somehow filling in the gap or something. And then in the the second reading is like, no, we're all different. We all have different bodies, right? We're all on this spectrum of, able-bodiedness versus not being able-bodied, right? And it's not an either-or binary in the strict no. sense, always, right? No. It's more. I mean, my understanding is thinking of it more a spectrum, right? And being able to recognize that differences along the spectrum.
1: Yeah, and I think, and I think that's what's beautiful about the second, the second uh, understanding or the second reading of the text. It blows up this binary idea, um, right. okay. uh, and I think that's one thing that I'm the most grateful for. Um, because we we tend to think about God as an either or, you know, uh, black or white, you know, just just very straight uh, line on this side of the fence or the other. And uh, this particular text takes all of that and just throws it in the air. It's like none Mm -hmm. of that, (laughs) you know. um, I I love to tell people my favorite favorite translation of that particular text uh, comes from the Message Bible. And I know that you know seminarians and <laughs> people who are academics will hear this and say, "Oh my gosh, I cannot believe that he said that." Um, but Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse is so beautiful to me. It goes something like this: The disciples ask the question, uh, "Who sinned uh, that this man was born blind?" And, and and Eugene Peterson says that Jesus's response is look instead for what God can do that our our perspective is so tied to what what can't this person do uh, and Eugene Peterson says that the whole reason why this happened is so that the, 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 the disciples learn to look instead for what God can do and so that's that's the way that I had to start looking at my own my own life as a person with a disability and then, my interaction with other people with disabilities how do we push people to look instead for what god can do and not be bound by what they see as a limitation and so to to that point i have to give uh, major props to uh my congregation for looking instead for what god can do uh when they when they encountered um a uh, uh, a man who is black and in a wheelchair uh um uh, something that they had never encountered as a pastor and being willing to say, yes, we see something in you that is 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 worth um, taking a chance on, and and leaning into the God in you, uh, and and leaning into the God in you and your ability to lead us uh, to follow um, the Spirit and and God at work in whatever way that that you know fleshes out. Um, so so I really I mean that reading of the text is something that. You know, I, I try to give people room to interpret uh, the Bible in a way that is life giving to them. But, I, I, you know, I really want people to buy into that, that we <laughs> right. that we we really start to see um, uh, God's God's glory being 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 understood as diversity in creation. Mm. So whether that's whether that's people who are, you know, black, brown, white, uh, anywhere on the spectrum. Um, and I mean, when I'm talking about spectrum, I mean, people who are LGBTQ plus, um, people who are, who are, uh, non-neurotypical and people who are typical, like there are so many spectrums at, at work in the world. And, and I think if we can learn to see God in every one of those spectrums, um, we would do, we would do ourselves well, uh, um not only in in opening the church's doors to everyone, but uh, being able to experience God's glory within our own faith communities. Um,
0: So Mm.
1: I will step off my soapbox
0: now. I love that. Like there's there's just something so powerful about moving away from this mindset of like, this is what perfection looks like, or this is what things are supposed to be, right? And saying, well, actually, if we can let go of that idea and just recognize that within everything and everyone yeah. is a yeah. picture of glory and it's for us to capture that picture. I think also you reframing of like, no, it's about asking what people can do, right? We focus so much on what people can't do, especially when it comes to disability, right? Yeah. But being able to say like, well, no, these, these are still like, Full human beings who have thoughts, they have experiences, emotions, right? There's still divinity that is held within there for us to unleash.
1: I think if you and 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 to that point, if you go back to if you go back to John 9, right? Jesus in this encounter with the disciples, I think what is so interesting is Jesus doesn't rebuke them for asking a question.
0: Mm. He never
1: says you shouldn't ask a question. He just points out they're asking the wrong question.
0: Yeah, uh
1: And so like this work of being a disciple, a part of the work of being a disciple is to ask questions. So I think this ultimately comes down to like, what are we doing in churches to open up spaces so that people can ask the tough question. Even when it comes to disability, like Mm -hmm. what have we taught that makes people think about people with disabilities a certain way how do we need to reframe that teaching so that people who leave our spaces see people with disabilities as full people? And I shouldn't even say see, because that, that is even a narrow way of like uh, uh, framing this, but how do we frame things so that people who leave our spaces encounter people with disabilities as full human beings, not needing to be saved or healed or anything, But as 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 worthy contributors to like the way that we understand and encounter the rest of the world that in that text is so much more than like what what is on the surface. I think it's a masterclass on what it means to be inclusive of all Mm -hmm. people, Uh, because Jesus never once makes the disciples feel like crap because of their curiosity, Mm -hmm. but he reframes their curiosity and says, if you're curious, let me help you turn that curiosity into something that is going to make a difference.
0: So I wonder, you've come to this point in your life, you're like 18 years old, you're reading the Bible, you have a new interpretation. How do you move from that space to becoming pastor? Woo!
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was a hell of a journey, I'll tell you that much. There were a lot of bumps and bruises not literally, maybe, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe not literally. There were a lot of emotional and spiritual bumps and bruises along the way. I can remember being a part of several ministries where I was like the token guy, you know, the token black guy, the token guy with the disability and and being so like discouraged by my experience and not really wanting to continue being this token guy over and over and over again, uh, and finally making it to a point where I had committed to working in the church, but not vocationally pursuing ministry as a pastor. Um, And then God does what God does. I I found myself in a prayer meeting uh, in the panhandle of Florida, in the back of a Methodist church and there was this pastor there who didn't know me and I didn't know them. And the pastor said, it's time for you to stop running from God. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. Uh, (laughs) I knew exactly what they were talking about, but I didn't want (laughs) to hear it at the moment. And I wrestled with God over and over and over again about pursuing uh, this call to ministry and eventually gave in and uh, joined the Methodist church uh, and started to pursue um, ordained ministry in the, in the Methodist church uh, and then had another crisis of faith, I guess you could say. Uh, and I really started to wrestle with the notion that in the Methodist church, there was this, or there is this, this, this mantra that, you know, we have open hearts, open minds, open doors. That is, unless you are LGBTQ+ and I really did not like that reality. Um, And so just before becoming a provisional elder in the United Methodist Church, decided to drop out of the ordination process and started the process completely over in the United Church of Christ. And um, a few years later, became ordained as as a minister in the United Church of Christ. And so uh, now I'm, now I'm pastoring in the United Church of Christ and serve on the, serve on the disability ministries, uh, board of directors and, um, do a bunch of other things, uh, within our local association, uh, I'm on the committee on ministry and a bunch of other stuff. But, um, yeah, I went from being, you know, God, I want nothing to do with this to now, um, now using this, this space and opportunity as a way to say, Uh, there were folks who were a part of my journey who didn't mind opening the door for me and who, in a sense, um, made ramps and elevators where there were no ramps and elevators for me to get to certain places. And so now I feel like it is a part of my call uh, to do that same work. And so it is no surprise to me when I look back on my journey that I went from seeing this glaring gap uh, of inclusion of people with disabilities in the church, and then wrestling with the inclusion of LGBTQ folks, because uh, justice work is always intersectional work. Um, and so, uh, whether it is whether whether it is opening the door for people with disabilities, or opening the door for LGBTQIA plus people to be uh, welcomed into the work of ministry and the life of the church, uh, I think all of those things are intersectional. And so um, if I can jump back on my soapbox, um, I would say those, those people who are committed to the work of justice have to understand that you cannot get away from the intersections of uh, uh, those, those two marginalized groups. And, and, I, and I even wrestle to, to say those two marginalized groups because there's so much overlap between the two. Um, so to separate them seems a bit disingenuous. Um, but that's why I am. That's why I am where I am. Um, is really understanding that 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 sense of call uh, to the work of justice and inclusion on both sides. So,
0: I wonder, in that journey, where have you felt like people really, really got it and made space for you to belong as you are, rather than felt like you had to be something that they wanted you to be or whatever.
1: I don't know that I've been in any place yet that fully like has allowed me to be me. I would say that being a minister in the United Church of Christ uh, just in general has been much more freeing uh, than any other space that I've been in. Being a UCC minister has allowed me the freedom to wrestle with my theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in other in other spaces I've been in and this is no this is no like jab against any other denomination but so many of the other spaces that I've been in whether it be uh, in my work or uh, as a parishioner or a congregant there was always this expectation that I'd have things figured out mm-hmm. um, and yet in the UCC there seems to be this this leaning into wrestling and, and being able to be honest and say, I don't really know. And and I thought I knew yesterday, but I don't know today. What I knew yesterday, I no longer know because you know, I, I think I think about it differently today. Um, th- this notion that God is still speaking to me creates so much freedom because it 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 pushes me to listen. If God is still speaking, then that means I've, I've got to listen so that I know what God is saying. I think in in that sense, being a part of the UCC has allowed me to be my most authentic self because it has allowed me to, to, to wrestle the most uh, and mm-hmm. wrestle openly and freely uh, without, without fear that I'm gonna be uh, perceived
0: a certain way. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Look out for part two in two weeks when we hear the rest of JJ's interview. And that's right, in order to slow down our schedules, we'll be shifting to a bi-weekly model for our Friday podcasts. In the meantime, though, you can always connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at glennwithtable. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to subscribe and or leave a review. Because even though we won't be back for another two weeks on Friday, every Tuesday we'll still be releasing our series called The Lectionary in a Human Voice. There you can hear from either Emmy Arnold or myself reading the week's lectionary texts, and we'll continue to bring more interviews to you as we figure out our rhythms. Until next time, remember that you are loved and you are enough.